Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. Today, I'm joined by diehard Chris for an emergency. The Texans are really stupid, and they trade you to Avion Clowney cast. Uh, how are you doing this morning, Chris? Um, Football-wise, I've definitely been better than I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think this is, like, just the... Like, this entire offseason has just been an entire series of just dumb events where each event was dumber than the one before it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really did like build up to this like the dumbest climax you could ever imagine, and so here we are a week before the season. And yesterday the Texans traded Jadavion Clowney to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they received a 2023 round pick, Barcavius Mingo, and Jacob Martin. And the Texans are also going to send an additional seven million dollars to the Seahawks to pay as a bonus to Clowney. So the Seahawks only have to pay you know fifteen million dollars this year instead of the twenty two million dollars the franchise tag is. And so the Texans are even sending money over to Seattle to help complete this <laughs> trade as well, too. So the Texans not only traded, you know, a top 10 edge defender, a very good pass rusher, one of the best edge run defenders in football on a one-year contract for a bust edge defender who's bad, a, I guess, like a linebacker, and they already have two good linebackers, and a third-round pick. And the Texans just, like, don't even have any draft picks now to begin with, and they can't even draft in the third round at all. Uh, anyway, so Chris, is this the worst trade you've ever seen? I mean, I, I can't think of anything worse from the Texans. I know, I know that people talk about the Philip Buchanan trade, but that was a long time ago. And frankly, when you're when you're unloading, it's different when you're trading for someone. When you're unloading someone that there's no reason to unload, that makes it way worse to me. And then if you put it in the full context of everything that happened yesterday, all the other moves that were sort of the cascading effect afterwards, then uh, yeah, it pretty much is the worst trade I can remember in the NFL, because if you look at the top, you know, say 30, 50, 100 NFL players at their position, guys that are young and in their prime, none of them ever get traded ever, unless there's something wrong, like with the law or their malcontents, like, a, you know, you, you can say what you want about Odell, um, about, um, why am I stroking out about Odell's, the rest of his name? It's because it's early on a Sunday. <laughs> Beckham you know, Jr., the receiver I from the Giants. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just, happening. we just got back from church. So it's, uh, my, my brain's a little, yeah, yeah, that's from what the Lord, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, OBJ, say what you want. He, he is a little bit of a malcontent. I'd have him on my team anytime, but you know, guys like that, Antonio Brown, you know, Tariq Hill hasn't been traded, but there's been speculation. You just don't, you just don't get rid of prime players. And as far as anyone can tell, the only issue with Jadavion Clowney is that he and Bill O'Brien didn't see eye to eye. And I guess because he didn't go full watt in practice all the time, yeah. I don't really, I don't really know, you know, we're probably never going to know exactly what the problem was. Uh, but I mean, it just seems ludicrous that you'd take a, a, a top player in his prime slash entering his prime who obviously can get better and at a premium position and you just basically get rid of him for nothing. Yeah, I can I can think of a worse trade at all either, and I know, and I couldn't even understand why they were like one they did extension to Van Clan at all. Like I understand the microfraction knee surgery, but he's been healthy for the last three years. Uh, he's in the prime of his career. He's a dominant player, 
and there didn't seem like a really a reason why that they shouldn't just have given him a long term extension at all. And then Seth came on the podcast two weeks ago when we did a Texans preview, and he said that Jaday Van Clowney's never really been a Bill O'Brien guy, and I guess that means you know like you're mentioning where he's not in the he's not in the weight room for 18 hours a day like JJ Watt is or whatever. Uh, he's not mm-hmm. like always around the team all the time, maybe or so, and he just doesn't have that maybe the same sort of personality. But or he doesn't have the personality of Dick Martin, who who O'Brien absolutely <laughs> adores, who's just you know pretty bad at football so far in his career. And so I've I've no idea what it is, but I think that's part of it is he felt like Clowney wasn't part of his culture in a way. Uh, and I and I also think what happened too with this Clowney trade is that Brian Gain gave him the tag, he lowballed him with the bad contract extension, and just wanted him to play underneath the franchise tag for this year. And then he was fired, and then Bill O'Brien came in, saw how bad the roster was, tried to ship him for a left tackle, and then Clowney heard out, found out about this, and Clowney just completely decided, like, I'm not going to play for y'all this year. I'll sit out games unless you give me a long-term extension. Like, I have no intentions of playing in Houston this year. And then whenever that happened, that's whenever Bill O'Brien started calling around, had no market for him this late in the season, and traded him for like the type of trade you would get for like a backup quarterback. Like I think like A.J. McCarron got shipped for a fourth-round pick. Uh, Duke Johnson's going to be like a third-round pick trade. And then the other two guys that they got you know, aren't any good at all either. So I, I, I think it's the worst trade I've ever seen. I think it's mainly the worst trade I've ever seen because, like you mentioned, they're unloading a dominant player and not getting anything from him. And typically, the market for a player of Clowney's caliber is like a first-round pick and a third-round pick or like a first-round mm-hmm. pick and a second-round pick. And uh, they got nothing even close to that all whatsoever. Yeah, the conversation starts with a first-round pick. I mean, as a baseline. As just an absolute baseline. And I mean, this actually, like, you know, I, I, whatever. I'm going full skies falling here. And I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy. But O'Brien has essentially now, he's betting on the team and himself and this season so much that if and when that gets screwed up, they're not going to reap the benefits of having a first-round pick to, you know, to, to make up some of that, that loss of talent in the next two years. With the tonsil trade, which we're going to get to, but I, I just, I just, the, the fact that he's stripped the roster down, gotten rid of a dominant player, brought in some pieces, brought in a new, another third rounder, and uh, I don't know, I know they've, I know the Texans have made their final cuts now. I didn't see if they did Collie uh, uh, Waring as a uh, wearing as an IR stash or not. He was the last third round pick. The third round pick before that was Martinez Rankin, and now they have a third round pick that came back in JD Clowney. So I have no confidence whatsoever that's going to turn into anything at all. And then you just have two, you know, one bust, like you said, and a project player. Uh, and and he's left the with the other moves that have been made. He's left the covered bear for the future. So, I mean, I think the situation is actually worse than it looks like on the surface, which is maddening. Uh, so now all we really have to go on is just hoping and praying that we're all wrong about this and that they're somehow going to have a really good season. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know, and I think. I think for this year, too, like it's an awful trade for this year. And the weird thing, too, is that whenever you're shipping first-round picks to get tons along with it, you're hurting your team for this year for picks that you're not going to have next year, too. And so it's like, so you potentially mm-hmm. traded maybe the 13th overall pick, whatever that pick maybe have been like 22nd of clones on this team this year because maybe you win a few more games, too. And so they just made this trade even better for Miami by shipping off Clowney to uh, Seattle as well. And so with this with this trade too, like Marcavius Mingo over the course of his career, he's had ten sacks, thirty one quarterback hits, fifty pressures. Jadavian Clowney last season, nine sacks, twenty one quarterback hits, and thirty five pressures. 
And so Clowney's like, everybody says, oh, he's not a great pass rusher. He's not a great pass rusher. He's like, you know, okay pass rusher. He's a really good one. He just doesn't have the sack totals because he goes up against left tackles and doesn't get the same matchup uh, J.J. Watt does. And in one season last year, he had the entire production, Barcavius Mingo's entire career. And so that's what they're replacing with uh, Clowney for this defense this season. And also last year, Houston finished 13th in just sack rate at 7.4%. They had 43 sacks last season and finished 20th in pressure rate. So how far do you think this drops off in 2019? And are you betting, would you take that bet that Winnie Merciless is going to be great this year and can pick up the slack? No. I mean, I don't have a problem with Whitney Merciless for the player that he is, but the idea that he's just going to sort of, you know, ride in on a on a white horse and fix things is is insane. And now that Watt is not going to have the protection of having Clowney on the line, who knows what we're going to see from him. And, you know, with Watt being a guy who's obviously aging and he was great last year, obviously, you know, he was great, but he's going to be subject to more, um, you know, more double teams, more triple teams. He's already getting double and triple fairly often, but now, I mean, without Clowney to account for the defense, or the, the, the way the offense is going to defend him is going to be um, even more, you know, they're going to have, they're going to be able to put more resources on him and that's going to wear him down even more than he's already been worn down in his career. So, you know, an aging Watt without the benefit of having the protection, let's call it protection of Clowney on the line to take a little bit of the pressure off him. I mean, it's a bad situation potentially. And, and the defense all of a sudden looks from being one that could have been, I think, probably mediocre to one that could actually be actively bad. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a bad defense because they don't have the pass, they don't have the pass pressure to be able to make up for their pass defense at all. Um, they Their cornerbacks are still bad. Like, it's... It's Bradley Roby. It's John, who you don't want your number one cornerback at all. Like he can't cover Juju Smith Schuster. He can't cover Tyreek Kill. He can't cover number one wide receivers on their own. It's Jonathan Joseph, who is a great detective at recognizing routes, but is bad in steep passes. It's Lonnie Johnson, who's gonna be bad this year. He probably be good for another two years or so. Like he doesn't know how to play cornerback at all. Uh, he didn't really know how to play in college. He doesn't. Know, he won't know how to play in the pros. He's like a great athlete, but it's the rest of that. Their slot corner play was one of the worst in football last season. It was Aaron Colvin. They have Xavier Crawford. They cut Brian ba- Body Calhoun. Uh, maybe Colvin bounces back this year, but I'm still not really optimistic on that because his good season came between AJ Boye and Jalen Ramsey, and it's a lot easier to play slot cornerback between those two guys. And their safety play is gonna be good this season, but they don't have the cornerback play to be able to cover guys without a pass rush. And I know that last year there was enormous differences in their splits between. Uh, their their pass defense with or their defense in general general with them without pressure and so this season like I think they're going to drop to a bottom five uh, pass rush I mean like merciless is fine but like he's not he's not Jadavian Clowney and I think they'll probably I think they'll probably be like you know twenty seventh in pressure rate and probably they'll pro- their sacks will probably drop down to like thirty seven and I think they're going to have a bottom five pass defense and they're also playing against a ton of really good quarterbacks this year. So I'm expecting them yeah. to give up, you know, 27 points a game or so. And then you're taking that, and then you're taking Bill O'Brien, who in his career, the Texans are 4-20 in games where the opponent scores more than 22 points. And so that's the situation that you're going into. Is a, quarterback, a, co- a head coach who's never won games in this fashion, set himself up to win games in this fashion. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, just take into account one another thing that all teams deal with every season which is injuries. I mean, with mm-hmm. the with the with the team staying intact the way it is now, let's you know if you can imbue them with the magic of staying healthy all season long. 
all those players not hitting IR, not missing significant time, you still got so many problems. Now you take the inevitable, you know, J. Joe missing a couple of games, you know, he's he's aging or, you know, Watt misses a chunk of time or any of these guys and any of those position groups on the D-line, especially the secondary. And I mean, you are just rightly screwed. And, and again, I know all teams deal with that. But when you've put your roster in the shape that the Texans have put their roster in, and he's basically jettisoned everyone now who's responsible for that. Uh, I mean, who's who's left to blame but O'Brien? And that's probably what's going to lead to him getting yet another season, unless they just absolutely fall apart this year, which is possible. So uh, it's just it, it is to me, it's very bleak. And again, I'm I'm not really that guy. I've never really been super bleak about this stuff. Um, but this is the this is kind of the worst I've felt going into a you know a season in in quite a long time. And uh, you know, I, I just I just don't really see how the defense can be anything but really bad, um, like you said. And that's one thing to know that going in. But then to like know, to to make the conscious decision at the end of the preseason, right before the season starts, mm-hmm. to take a premium pass rusher and get rid of him in what ended up being embarrassing fashion. I mean. I, uh, maybe, maybe it's important just to stick to the facts of, of what all happened, but I think it's also important to discuss just how sort of embarrassingly ridiculous this whole GM Hydra experiment has been this, <laughs> this offseason. I mean, we're talking about all this horrible shit that happened yesterday, and this is just this is with with talking about the whole Nick Casario disaster in the rear view as if that didn't happen. That was horribly embarrassing and ridiculous. And then this happens, and it's right, you know, just the audacity of Bill O'Brien calling up teams right at the end of the preseason and saying, hey, um, we'd like to trade for your uh, star left tackle right before the season starts. Yeah. And then not expecting that he's just going to get bent over a table to actually acquire that left tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, too. Uh, so the, the Texans with pressure last year, and we'll talk about Tensil in a second, with pressure at DVA, negative 76.3%, 3.4 yards per play. Without pressure, 40.9%, 7.9 yards per play. So like, there's a 4.5-yard difference there. Or I mean a six and a half yard, a four and a half yard difference there, and you're also getting rid of the player who is very monumental to that pass rush. And then the injury thing's a great point too, because what happened before, whenever JJ Watt went down, the two seasons before the last one, they had Jadavion Clowney there who could carry the entire defense on his own. And so now you completely lose that fail safe if something happens to Watt. And I think now, like with Watt being 30 years old at this point of his career, anything that you get from him is just kind of a bonus. Like I, th- I don't think yep. you can depend on him at all in any season. You can't depend on him going into any game that he's gonna be healthy. And so, like anything he does is just like, oh, this is this really awesome thing that we have, and hopefully it lasts, but it may not. And now they've lost that completely by training Clowney. And also, I feel like Clowney's the type of guy who you can extend for five years, and then whenever Watt retire or whenever Watt's contract goes up in two years or whatever, then you have Clowney that you can build your defense around. And so you're gonna have a really good defense for the next five seasons, and you're kind of locked into that with a player of that caliber. And now it's gone forever for, again, a third-round pick, a linebacker prospect, and they already have you know, McKinney and, and Cunningham, and Barcavius Mingo, who's never been good in, in his entire career. Mm-hmm. It's, it, is, it is all a great sadness. I, I, it makes me wonder if there's actually something else that we don't know about yet with Clowney. Um, that we may never know. I mean, it, it just seems so insane, even though we've all been sort of conditioned to uh, accept that most of the things that Bill O'Brien does are bad, especially in the personnel department as, you know, part of the GM Hydra. So I don't really like I, it. It doesn't you, if you take the sarcasm out of it, you say, oh, this seems unexpected. Everyone says, oh, well, that's O'Brien. That's what we expect. No, I mean, this this goes beyond that level of 
of incompetence to me. This 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 is a, a level you don't see often. You, and again, we're going to get into the Tunsil trade. And of course, you know, the, the whole basis of that is how much they paid for him. And then at the same time, on the same day, they got grossly underpaid for clowning. I mean, that is embarrassing. And this is on top of the whole Casario debacle. It's just, it's, and I don't care about the embarrassment as a fan, because whatever, I'm a fan of the football team, who cares? But it, it shows a pattern of what I don't think you can call it anything but gross incompetence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like we're not Colts fans. Like we can say bad things about the Texans, and yeah, and 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 we can accept that. Like, yeah, they're dumb. They did something bad. It doesn't personally hurt our feelings, and our entire uh, personality isn't devolved around the football team. Because again, we're not Colts fans, and uh, yeah. So I don't know. Like I don't know really <laughs> if I have anything else to add about Clowning other than it sucks and I hate it. And then the thing I hate most about it too is that. Watching Jadavion Clowney play football is a lot of fun. Like it's a really good thing yep. to do. Like I love watching the Texans play. On, I love watching the Texans play. I love watching Clowney there just being, you know, pretty much a grenade that blows open the door, and everybody else comes flying in to, you know, raid the meth the meth house or whatever. And they don't have that. And like I just I feel like I'm losing such a fun part of watching the team play two week to week. And so not only does it make the team bad and make it much worse, it also makes a much boring football team as well too. And less enjoyable yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, and and I just if if we're gonna we're gonna move on from Clowney here, so I just I also want to say something similar about him. It's almost like an in memoriam thing. Like like you said, he was an insane amount of fun to watch play. And we t- I talked earlier about how the whole thing about with Clowney, like I don't know, maybe it's because he doesn't go, you know, one hundred ten percent every rep in practice like Watt does. But when you watch the games, yeah, is there anyone is there anyone in the NFL that you've seen in the last few years that has the same get off? as J.J. Watt does in his prime, other than Javon Clowney. Like, the guy has unbelievable explosiveness, is in the backfield before you know it, just like Watt was in his prime years. I mean, if if this is a not Bill O'Brien type of guy thing, then Cal McNair is just also grossly incompetent because he needs to step in, manage his team, and see what's going on, and realize that there's premium talent, and then there's a coach who's a middling coach at best, who for some reason has all this power and now suddenly is going to be like, you know what, I'm going to try this GM thing for a year. And then just lit the entire offseason on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's weird too with the with that part portion of it as well, with O'Brien being the general manager and then come like a weekend to, before the season starts, he kind of realizes, oh, Matt is really bad. Oh, this team may be really bad. And then having no idea what to do except completely ship everything, just lose his mind over it. And I think that's kind of God, the important thing. Like, Khalil. as dumb as yesterday was, like, this entire offseason has been bad from the majority of the decisions they made. You know, not trading up a fourth and sixth to take Dillard and taking Titus Howard, who can't play left tackle this year. And it looks like he's never going to play left tackle. He may play right tackle eventually. But they love his versatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Sharping can't play tackle. He moved to guard instead. And so they were able to address that position in the draft. They didn't spend any money in free agency on it. The best free agency decision they made was not sign Tyron Matthew and sign Tayshawn Gibson instead. This is still a team with $76 million in cap space, and they didn't add any immediate impact players in free agency. Like, Roby's fine, and this, the quarterback position was really uh, thin this year, but they still didn't add anybody really make this team better at all. Uh, they didn't yeah. add impact offensive linemen through free agency, too. And then you have the Casario thing, and then you have this draft that was really underwhelming. And now you have this clowny trade, and it's just it just kept getting dumber and dumber. And now the season's going to start in a week, and I like I've like you mentioned earlier, like I've never I was really excited for the season after talking to Seth because I was like kind of talked into the offensive line, some watching Watson play. As at least Clowney and Watt are going to be there too, and even if they win, you know, seven games against a tough schedule, they'll still be an entertaining team to watch. 
And now after this, I'm just like, I, it's just gross. Like, I I don't know. Like, I'm still going to watch and all that, but I'm not super excited for it now after this trade yesterday. Yeah, I'm pretty much with you. I mean, I'm, I'm, it, there's, a, there's a baseline level of excitement that I'll have every year because we have a franchise quarterback now, and it's a guy who's Deshaun Watson who, on top of being a franchise QB, is exciting and fun to watch. And they've got some great talent in some of this, you know, and in, in, on the offense as far as the receiving core. And I mean, there's pretty good tight end position group now that uh, O'Brien clearly values over all others. I mean, we're not even going to, I don't think we're even going to get into roster cuts, but my God, <laughs> the tight end position group. So, I mean, I, I think they've got <laughs> weapons and it'll be fun to watch. But yeah, this, this, this day, this historic day in Texans history will, uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of sapped me, and uh, it, it doesn't help that that first game, even though the Saints generally start pretty slow, that just doesn't look like a good situation right now. Yeah, especially when you're going up against one of the best offensive lines, one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and you have one pass yeah. rusher, pretty much. Yeah, it's gonna be. <laughs> it's like let's let's see if Watson can score 35 points, and if they can win games that they set themselves up to win. Um, so after Jadavion Clown was traded for. I guess, like, the stuff that you find underneath your couch cushions. Uh, they went ahead and traded. It was reported they were going to cut Martinez Rankin. He's a third-round pick from last year. They, it was reported they were going to cut him, and so they traded him to Kansas City for Carlos Hyde. Uh, do you think this trade solves the running back woes now that their running back room is going to be Hyde? Uh, it's going to be Hyde, Taewon Jones, and Duke Johnson. No, I mean, I know O'Brien has always had an aversion to rookies, but I was pretty surprised that neither of Higdon or Crockett made the roster. Um, I just, I don't really get it, man. Carlos Hyde is not good. I mean, he's he's not the worst running back in the league, but I don't really understand the the fascination with bringing him on. I mean, he might have something less from the tank, but I. I yeah, that doesn't really do anything for me. I would have much preferred that they, they kept one of the younger guys, but I don't know, maybe they have horrible issues with pass pro. I, I, I just I just don't get sometimes, like Taiwan Jones doesn't doesn't get me excited, but I guess he's a veteran, so yippee. I, I, I feel like you know once they they sort out their practice squad and all that, that probably they'll lose one of those two young guys to another team if they haven't already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Hyde hasn't been good in two years. Um, this is going to be, I guess if you include Kansas City, it's going to be his fourth team in two seasons then. And and he's not good in the pass game at all either. But like two years ago, he did break 51 tackles. He broke 52 tackles in 2017 in San Francisco. So like, and last year he only broke 28. So I don't, and he's going to be, um, he's going to be 29 years old this year as well too, which is crazy. And like he, I know in the past I've watched how I was like, wow, I really like him. I'm excited to watch him get like a full load. And then whenever he got the full load, he's been bad. And so I, I don't think he's ever been that sort of running back. And I think he's been like good in short bursts as your second running back, but he's not somebody who you want as your first overall back. But I guess it's fine as a trade if you're going to cut Rankin anyways. And, I, and it, I'm like, I'm devastated that Rankin got cut. Like I was so excited for whenever he got drafted by Houston. He was one of my favorite tackle. Probably, he was my favorite tackle prospect coming out of the draft two years ago. And that entire mm-hmm. tackle group now is kind of weird because it's like, uh, Mike McGlinchkey in San Francisco was really bad last year. Uh, Colton Miller was really bad last year too, and like none of the tackles drafted in that class have really panned out very well, except for Orlando Brown, who weighs you know 375 pounds and just run blocks and <laughs> pass blocks for two seconds in Baltimore. But uh, both Rankin, you know, it was such a bad situation they put him in. He had that foot injury in training camp last year. Didn't play at all until the fourth preseason game. Sean Sean Anderson breaks his ankle. Now he's playing left tackle. Whenever he, he never even should have played left tackle at all anyways. Like he's not quick enough for that spot. 
I thought he could be like a right tackle, like a Derrick Noon type of player. And then he gives up like 15 sacks in two weeks. Plays pretty well at guard. And then they go into this summer, and they have no plan for him. They have no idea what they want to do with him, especially after they move, um, especially after they move Howard and Sharping inside. And now he's like on the third string line. He's on the fourth string line. He's playing the fourth quarter, the fourth preseason game. Has like no feel. Doesn't know what to do with him at all. And so now he's gonna go to the Chiefs. And the Chiefs actually can develop offensive linemen. So I'm really happy for him. The fact that he's gonna go to a spot that can probably turn him into a competent player. But uh, yeah, like expect Rankin to be starting Kansas City like next season as like their like left guard or right guard and being very good at it. Yeah, I mean this is another thing we're gonna find out with uh, these offensive linemen who have left Houston and flourished elsewhere. I mean all the things that have gone wrong with the uh, offensive line in the O'Brien era. He's been here. I think this is his sixth year. He's going into now. The offensive line significantly worse now than it was then. You still got Mike Devlin as the offensive line coach. You still got O'Brien you know, handpicking players and whatever hand he had in before. Obviously, you know, the Rick Smith era is, is far enough away now that I think we can stop giving uh, we can stop giving consideration to that for the most part. And, you know, O'Brien, O'Brien, or O'Brien might have made some missteps, but that that was O'Brien's guy. That was his guy. So, I mean, I, I just I just feel like all the excuses are running out for him. And if you're if you're stacking incidents against Bill O'Brien, if you're making the case for him to be gone. Then I think you know you're gonna you're gonna take the big sexy ones like the clowny thing and the tunsil thing and the whole Casario debacle and his poor in-game management skills and his clock you know the, the way he operates the, the his clock management issues and all you can stack all these things up but I think for me near the top maybe at the top is his complete and total mismanagement and botching of the offensive line mm-hmm. over the course of several years and I don't I don't think. I think that needs to be harped on whenever you're making the case against O'Brien. Like that position group has been obliterated, and yet the offensive line coach remains for several years. They haven't made a change there, and there's all these proven points of these guys leaving town and being better elsewhere. I, I just, you know, that's not even to count the Dwayne Brown debacle, which I know had a whole component that people can scream about on Twitter all day long. But I mean, <laughs> those core things. I mean, you're they, they've now gotten rid of two cornerstone positions two cornerstone premium positions in the nfl in the last couple of years dwayne brown left tackle and a, a premier um uh you know edge defender pass rusher and clowning i mean what's next you know the quarterback is the next one yeah <laughs> so i mean i'm not going to go that far but he, he, those are two co- cornerstone positions that they had locked down and circumstances one way or the other blah 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 i get dwayne brown held out but, I mean, that happened under their watch, and they're accountable. Yeah, and the Brown thing, too, is so dumb because it's like, well, he's 33 years old. We don't want to pay him you know, for another three more seasons, guarantee him money. So he's really good, and tackles can play for a long time, as we've seen with Andrew Whitworth. Mm-hmm. And, and also, like, it's the same with Brady, too. Whenever your peak is that high, your downfall is a lot slower. So like, whenever you start to lose a step or so, you have a greater margin of error for it to happen. It, that, whenever it's Matt Schaub or Jake DeLome, that, that it's not the case. But whenever it's an elite player like Dwayne Brown, that's the case, and he's been you know, very good in Seattle. Uh, they have they even I think they've even even talking about extending him again after extending him two years ago after the trade was made too. And so it's kind of like now with this Larry Tunsil trade, the Texans traded you know Dwayne Brown and received a third round pick and Larry Tunsil, and they also shipped off a first, two first round picks and a second round pick uh, to solve their left tackle problem too. And so yesterday after the Clarence thing, they traded Larry Tunsil. They traded for Larry, Larry Tunsil and Kenny Stills in a 2024th round pick, a 2021 sixth round pick, and then Miami received a 2021st round pick, 
a 2021 first round pick, a 2021 uh, second round pick, Julian Davenport and Johnson Bademosi. So, uh, as much as like as bad as the climate trade was, like, do you think this Miami trade was good? As some people have made the case for, saying that this completely revolutionizes all uh, Houston's offensive line, or is this trade bad? It had just a similar taste, uh, like the Clowney trade was. I mean, it's it's definitely bad. I, I still feel like the Clowney trade is worse because there's something more egregious about getting rid of a player who's a premium player than there is about overpaying for one that's a premium player. And we can argue if he even is a premium player. But so for me, the, the Clowney one is more egregious. But the, the, the Tunsil trade is, is stunning on a lot of levels. And once again, it, it's important, I guess, to remember a couple of things. Number one, like in a vacuum, in and of itself, is it a good thing that Laramie Tunsil is a Texan now? Yeah, it's a good thing. He's going to shore up the left tackle position, hopefully for many years. Uh, you know, he's he's he can he's a good player. He's above, he's above average. Maybe he can. He's still young. Maybe he could be great. I don't know. But that that position is is locked down. As far as I know, he's been healthy his whole career so far. So yes, it's a good thing that he's on the roster. But you have to have the proper context for why he's on the roster, and not just the cost of him, but the mismanagement that led to it. They drafted a left tackle a few months ago and properly moved him to guard and figure out that's where he was going to play. They signed Matt Khalil because they thought he would be good. And this is one of those things where, you know, you read stuff on Twitter and you always roll your eyes like, well, you know, people on Twitter don't know a damn thing. They don't know things more than the coach does. Nobody thought this was going to work. Everyone was kind of surprised (laughs) at how much they paid for him. And now that it's not working out and he was hurt and O'Brien was playing coy in the press conferences about, oh, you know, I don't have to tell you if he's injured or not. I mean, my God, just botching one thing after another. So you have all those things. It's not just that they grossly overpaid for him. It's that they grossly overpaid for him and they got grossly underpaid for Clowney on the same day. And the reason that they had to do what they did for Laramie Tunsil is because they botched so many things leading up to that. So you, it has to have the proper context. But yeah, in a vacuum, in and of itself, yeah, it's great that he's on the team, but at what cost? Yeah, I think the most important thing in the Tunsil trade is that he, he played guard to start his career too, so he's versatile, which is what Houston loves in their offensive line. I think more oh than God. anything, that's why he was uh, such a big target for Houston. And there was also thoughts that they were going to trade Clowney in a first-round pick for Tunsil, which would I think if he had a redo yesterday, like that would have been... I would have I would have been so in love with that trade yesterday. If it was just Clowney a first round pick for Tunsil and that was it. But instead it's Clowney's gone for nothing. It's a two first round picks, a second round pick, uh for Tunsil. Like Tunsil's an above average left tackle. Like he's he's really good. He's not spectacular, he's not elite, he's not dominant. Uh but he's also in the fourth year of his career, so they only have to pay him four million dollars this year. Next year they'll have to pay, pay him around eleven million dollars on his fifth year option, and then they'll have to deal with, you know, any long term extension. But there's already talks that Houston's already looking to sign him to a long-term extension right now, too, to lock him up uh, for the why? future. Yeah, which it makes zero sense because there's no leverage on that the player Oh, has. it's because of the GM Hydra. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and the funny thing, too, the, the O'Brien thing also, is that not only has he been an extremely mediocre head coach, but like, there's been nothing at all that he's shown that he should have this much power and control over an organization. Like, I can't no. think of somebody who's as... like who's had the performance level he's had to have this much power. And it's insane, like, all the power battles he's won uh, throughout his time here in Houston. is like, completely, I think, crippled the organization now after uh, yesterday because they're, like, depleted of all their resources, too. But then the key yeah. here is that with the potential trade by having him, like, sure, it's great, like you mentioned, but their offensive line is still probably going to be bad. Tyus Howard's at left guard. He's had problems with his hands all, all summer camp, uh, all training camp all summer. 
and that's a legitimate issue. His PFF grade every week is like 45, which of course doesn't mean anything at all, but it's still fun to say. Uh, mm-hmm. Nick Martin's still a center. He's an awful run blocker. He's fine at pass protection. But again, pass protecting at centers like being a point guard can rebound. It doesn't mean much at all. Like that guy has to reach the nose tackle. He has to be able to block the second level. Martin can't do that. At right guard, it's either going to be Fulton or Sharping. Hopefully it's Fulton. Uh, Sharping, I think, is just going to be you know too slow right away at the next at the pro level. And I think it's going to be a big issue uh, in pass protection for him. And then right tackle is going to be Chantrell Henderson. And I think more important than having like a really great left tackle is having two competent tackles. And Sancho Henderson's not competent. He's going to be really bad right away this year. Uh, he hasn't been good his entire career. He hasn't played since 2014. He has a really weak punch. He doesn't extinguish pass rushers at all. And that's really important because Watson's a guy who holds onto the ball for a while. He likes to scramble. He likes to get out and pressure, or likes to get on the pocket and roll out. And now you have Henderson who can't contain a rush at all for more than you know two or three seconds because of how bad his punch is. And so I think this entire offensive line is still going to be a bad one this year, even with the Tensile trade. It's like, sure, left tackle set up, but you still have four other spots that are all in flummox uh, that are, I guess, settled from like a roster standpoint, but not from a talent and play standpoint. No. And I think I think this entire off- offensive line is going to be, you know, is going to be better this year, but still probably be like the 26th best, best offensive line football, the 20th best offensive line football. And that's not good enough to be able to, be in the situation where you can like confidently say, "Hey, yeah, we can score twenty eight points and we can score points to the Saints and that sort of thing." Yeah, not at all. Yeah, and Chantrell Henderson. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but like honestly, if there's one player, if there's one starter on the roster that I would put the most money on to get injured quickly, it'd be him. That's exactly what happened last year. Like you said, he hasn't played, he hasn't been healthy. So, I mean, they obviously in that room have already got plans in place for when he inevitably gets hurt. And I, I just hate to say that because it's mean and it sucks, but it's, it's just, it's just what's happened with him. And to think of him trying to keep plays alive, like you said, with, with Deshaun running around back there him laboring around, I, I, it's just a matter of time. Like he's going to get gassed quickly. And when you get gassed quickly, you get hurt and you open yourself up to a lot more chance of injury there. Just, I just, I, I just see him going probably not being the starting right tackle for, for very long this season. And, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did like I did, the initial reports of the trade when it started coming out uh, for Tunsil, or I'm, I'm sorry, for Clowney. When the initial reports came out um, that there were players coming back, the first ones I saw, and this was from blue checkmark, checkmarked guys, was their center, Justin Britt, and their guard, German Idafetti. Um, I, I Am I saying that right? I, don't, I, don't I know think it's either it. it's that or a Fetty. I don't know. A Fetty, there you go. I yeah, can barely and, say my own name. <laughs> And and when I saw that news, I thought, okay, well, this is horrible and it's garbage and I hate it. But at least they're getting uh, a competent starting center to replace the one. Well, one that's more competent than the one we have now, and a guy who might solidify the guard position. And I was just like, okay, this is really horrible. But we got a couple of starters coming in. And then when it turns out that it was just two middling linebackers who aren't even starting players. I mean, my God, did you see that? Did you see that out there also that originally it was supposed to be those two or it was originally reported that it was going to be those two guys. And what was your reaction to that? If you did see it? I know I didn't see that at all. Um, and I guess like that'd be, that'd be better of course than Mingo. And then in the, the linebacker that they got Jacob Martin. Yeah. Jacob Martin. And I, and yesterday, like I went to check out, check out the thread on the website and there's like Seahawks people. And there's like, yeah, Martin's a really great prospect. We really like his potential. And the entire time I was like, get the hell out of here. Go away. Nobody likes you. Nobody asks for anything that you have to say at all. Uh, I don't want to hear about how Martin's a good prospect whenever this is, there's no like, 
defending this client trade. There's nothing good that's going to come out of it at all. Come on, man. No, those Hawks fans know football now. <laughs> yeah, I I hate the I hate the the Seahawks SB Nation Twitter account. It's just like Galaxy Brain thinking. It's like and none of it's interesting at all whatsoever. And it just I'm I'm furious. Like I'm so mad that those losers that call themselves Twelves, unironically, who copy Texas A&M, get to savor and get to enjoy Jadavion Clowney's prime and. And they're probably going to extend them next year, of course, too. And, yeah, the whole thing sucks. And I hate it. Um, so the Texans are kind of – well, I guess also I'm going to mention Julian Davenport. I'm excited to watch him play in Miami. Like, he's probably going to start left tackle for him. And uh, I wish him all the oh best. Oh, my God. I, I wish him all the best. I hope he has a great 2019 season. I hope he uh, he's able to catch on a long-term deal in Miami. I hope he, like, develops into a confident starter because that would just make this whole thing even better, too. Yeah, I mean, that would be yet another notch on the belt of why is Mike Devlin still here? Yeah, I, I think he's, it's because O'Brien really likes him. Like, they enjoy their talks and they get coffee in the morning together. Yeah, it's a good guy, good teammate, good, yeah. good coach, coaching teammate. <laughs> and so the last thing about this, too, is that so Houston's locked into this roster pretty much now. I'm sure they can, because I mean, they're going to have to pay some guys uh, for, for free agency here pretty soon. But they don't have any draft picks at all. And so, yeah, like next year they'll have like $76 million in cap space again. Who knows what they'll use it on. Uh, but they'll have to do things like extend Will Fuller maybe, extend Deshaun Watson, uh, give Laramie Tunsil like $27 million a year just because. And so they can improve in free agency, but they're kind of locked in. And the trick to really building a team around a quarterback that you pay $35 million a year is that you have a bunch of draft picks that you can come in and out and use and cost-effective talent. And so now with this trade for Tunsil, they don't have that source of cost-effective talent. And so it's hard enough as it is to build around a team where you pay your quarterback that much money. Uh, but it's nearly impossible, I feel like, to do so whenever you don't have your first-round pick, you don't have your second-round pick. And so I, I think that's kind of the disaster here is that you're looking at a roster that's about to be expensive very soon, and now they don't have a way to mitigate that cost and that expense they're going to have to pay because they shipped everything out to bring Tunsil in. And so, I, I mean, I, I think Tunsil's a fine player. I think he's going to be good in Houston. But I don't think he's worth two first-round picks and a second-round pick. And even when you think about it just for this season, Houston's going to have to try to teach him their entire pass protection scheme and their entire playbook in one week and their, get their entire <laughs> offensive line working together in one week. And I, I it's just it's such a disaster for this season and in the future as well, too. And I can't wait to already hear it like two years from now whenever Watson's extended. And the remarks are, are all going to be like, well, you know, it's really hard to build around a team when you pay your quarterback that much after they're paying Watson $4 million this year and completely failed to uh, take advantage of his rookie contract like they failed to take advantage of J.J. Watt's prime. Yeah, and I mean, I, I just don't want it to go. Uh, I want people to remember, and I'll you know be there with my meager social media following and this podcast and Battle Red blog to remind them that the desperation of what they did to get Tunsil is one thing, but you have to focus more, I think, on why they got to this point. That's the important thing. The bad talent evaluation, the bad roster moves, and then just putting themselves in a position of no leverage like they did. And just they basically got bent over by a bad organization. I mean, it's one thing to get, you know, raked over the coals like in the NBA by like a guy like Daryl Morey, who's considered a smart GM or, you know, in the NFL, you know, Belichick gets you or whatever. I, I don't know. But this is this is like getting tricked by the Browns. You know, this the, the Dolphins are a bad organization and the Texans just got bent over by them. It's horrible. It's like coming home and 
you know, finding your house is getting robbed and then basically paying them to go away. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't understand how you, you just drafted a left tackle. You, you had a franchise left tackle. You thought that Matt Khalil was going to be the answer. So you threw some money at him and then you've got Laramie Tunsil and Matt Khalil still makes the roster. Yeah. How the hell does he still make the roster? He's still going to make seven half million dollars this year. Just I, so for me, I'm I, when when this comes up and people scream and bitch about the cost they paid for for Tunsil, which is a completely appropriate response. I'm going to be the one that reminds them how we got to this point and why we got to this point, and that's the thing that I think people should focus on. Unfortunately, it's not going to make a difference because they're not going to fire O'Brien before the season. They're not likely to find fire him during the season unless they're just on some horrendous, you know, losing streak. And then when he is gone, if he is gone after the season. There's nothing in the cupboard, like you said. There's like what what coach is gonna come in? Like, well, I got this mess of a roster, and I've got no first round picks for two years. Great. Um, I'm sure Dirk Cutter will be happy to come to Houston and, <laughs> and go, you know, six and ten every year. And I, my my theory too, whenever they cut Brian Gain, though Brian kind of saw this roster, he was like, yeah, this is probably a six win team with this schedule, and then just everything he could in his power to get Brian Gain fired, so that way he could take over the team, get control, and guess make these insane moves eventually. But I think he already he already has the scapegoat on Brian Game that if he does go five and eleven this year or six and ten, he can put the blame on him entirely and be able to kind of get away with uh, with a down year this year for Houston too, which I which is what I'm expecting to have happen. So after I guess before Ashley, what your prediction changes for the roster cuts? Uh, they did cut Brian Bowdy Calhoun, they cut Joel Heath, they cut uh, both running backs Josh Ferguson, and they also cut uh, a Crockett as well too. They and cut, Higdon. What? And Higdon. And Higdon. They cut Vincent Smith. They cut uh, Tyron Johnson. And That's the one I was upset about. Everybody else is still here. And they, they're taking six tight ends, I think. They're taking all the tight ends. Yeah. They're taking Thomas. Yeah. Fels, they're taking Akins, Fells, Waring. Uh, they're all going to be here. Adams. Here. Adams, yeah, they're all here. A tight end room is packed, man. There's like, yeah, there's 700 of them, which is... Yeah, completely absurd as well in, in its own right. It's, but uh, yeah, so it's it's a weird, it's kind of like a weird cut day for them too. And then I I don't know. I think they're only carrying like seven offensive linemen as well. But yeah, I can't wait for like Sancho. Well, I can't wait. That's a, that's not true. But it's gonna be horrifying whenever Henderson gets hurt. And they're like, okay, Matt Cleo is gonna play right tackle now. Oh God. And because uh, <laughs> that's exactly what's gonna happen. But so after both these trades, what's your prediction for the Texans record that for this year? And how did it change from maybe how you felt if I asked you this question uh, 24 hours ago, 20 hours ago, however long it's been since all this had occurred? Well, it's actually changed twice now with the Andrew Luck retirement. So, I, I you know, I, I think in going into the season, I had them at, say, like a nine and seven kind of thing. Because I just feel like they had enough talent. They got a, a premier quarterback now. And even with all the issues with the defense and those and those you know tough quarterbacks they were going to face, I, I was thinking somewhere in the nine seven realm. And then when the Andrew Luck uh, retirement happened, I thought uh, maybe they can get to ten. And then I looked at myself in the mirror and said, "You're a crazy person." And I left it at nine seven. Now with losing Clowney, and I just there's just I just think there's so many inevitable bad things come down. I don't think they're going to bottom out. Uh, I know you're probably going to go lower than I am, but I'm I'm looking at sort of a seven nine eight and eight kind of season. Yeah, I had them at eight and eight. And I thought they missed the playoffs just because they're going to have to play game, win games in a way they've never done so before. They're going to have to win games like 31-27, and Bill Bryant's never done that. And it's again, like I'll keep going back to that record that Rivers found 
that whenever they give up more than 22 points a game, their record's 4-20. and And all four of those wins are, yeah. And so, like, it's just, it's it's such a mess. Uh, but I was at 8-8, eight and eight, and after this trade, I have them at 6-10. and 10. I think Clowney's worth a two indifference. I think their defense depends on pass rush. Their pass rush is going to be so much worse without him. I don't think Whitney Merciless is going to be able to provide the same level of rush. Like, I think he could have, like, you know, uh, 11 quarterback hits, 8 sacks, and 30 pressures, but it won't be the same thing as having that insane force that you have to account for. Like, you don't yeah. use two blockers on Whitney Merciless. Like, yeah. you're not worried about Whitney Merciless lineup over the center. And, yeah, you're not, game, you're not game planning against Whitney Merciless. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's what's so important is that this defense depends on pressure, and without Clowney, it changes that entirely. And then also, like, that's the fail safe if Watt goes down, and I don't trust Watt staying healthy for an entire year. And I don't think anybody should either. And then they're out to play games and win games, like I mentioned, where they haven't done so before. And I can't see that really occurring. And the schedule's so tough, too. So I think they, I think they go 6-10 and 10 this year, and the Miami Dolphins are going to get, like, the ninth overall pick because of it. And mm-hmm. uh, and they're gonna have two top ten picks this year, and so like I'm glad for I'm glad the Dolphins have a new favorite team, the Houston Texans, because uh, I'm I don't I don't know I guess I'll be like I'm gonna be a Buccaneers fan this year I guess. Oh my god, yeah, and I think like all the stuff we talked about today, we talked about O'Brien and all the shortcomings, but let's not forget that not once did we talk about his coaching ability, which is his number one job. We haven't even gotten to that, like. Like, you know, the, the stat you mentioned that Rivers came up with about, about you know, their win-loss record in games where they where the other team scores X amount of points. Unless O'Brien has fixed his issues on the coaching field, which I'm on, on the on the actual football field, which I doubt he has because he's been kind of busy. Um, if you remember, just, just our most recent game with the Texans was the playoff game. They lost at home to the Colts when they were down. I don't know how, how much they were down, 10, 13 points with like five minutes left in the game, and they're still getting the snap off with like three seconds on the play clock. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a fundamental thing that anyone knows. Anyone watching, any casual football fan watching the game on TV can see that and go, uh, what's the problem here, guys? you got to have a little bit more sense of urgency. And that's, that's happened over and over and over, which is ironic to me because O'Brien always seems to be this guy who's, like if you remember on Hard Knocks, he's always screaming at the players, hurry up, hurry up, you got to be faster, you got to be faster. Mm-hmm. He's, wanting to run the, he's wanting to run the no huddle. Uh, you know, keep the defense on their on their heels, but he's got so many issues with in-game coaching, clock management. Not to mention, like I, like I was just talking about, for me, the biggest thing that sticks in me is that there's just there's so many times. Every other game, there's two or three or four times where you're just like, where's the sense of urgency here? And I mean, I doubt any of his on in on-field coaching is going to change in year six. So we've just ran him up and down the rails here, and we weren't even talking about his primary job. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I, it's just so exhausting, and it's insane that I still can't believe like the amount of control he's had of this organization. That and that he's the general manager, and he's not even that good of a head coach. And now he's the general manager of the football team, which is absurd. And so, like, Cal McNair, if you're listening, because you you know you read about Red Blog all the time, uh, <laughs> just give somebody else the job. Like, call me up. I'll do it. I'll I'll do. It. I'll I promise you, I can do a better job than what Brian just did. Like easily, like a hundred percent easily. Dude? I'm here. Where are you? I'm here. I'll I mean, get, no. I'll give Cal, up my where, pension. Where is Cal? Yeah. I, Cal, I'll give up my pension that I'll get in like 27 <laughs> years from now to go be the GM of the Houston Texans. But yeah, I don't uh, even know how he, how, he, how he even signed up on this trade too. Like if you're the owner, he's like, yes, yeah, so I'm going to do I'm like, no, you're not. We're not going to do that. Yeah. And We're not doing I, that. I just, and he's been, um, obviously it's his right to be silent as an owner and, and not talk to the media or not give an opinion on the stuff. But I mean, someone 
has to be the guy who, you know, like with the whole thing with Jerry Jones is, is an example. Like he wanted to draft Johnny Manziel. Someone grabbed him and said, uh, no, old man, you're not doing that. <laughs> Where's that guy for our organization? The problem is with our organization, there's a, there's a 12-headed monster that made that decision. Like people were in agreement. Like multiple people agreed to do this. It just astounds me. Yeah, I I don't know. It's also exhausting. And pretty much the Texans got Daryl Morey, but the Seattle Seahawks is the best way to put it. Yep. This is the James Harden trade, but for Seattle. Yep. On the wrong it's, end. It's Yeah, it's so absurd. It's it's also stupid. Uh, but yeah, so next week the Texans are going to play on Monday night in New Orleans. So they're going to start the 2019 season like that. And like I'm going to watch. I, I'm just like... <laughs> I'm desperate. Like I'm devastated. We'll see what happens, but uh, I like I'm definitely going to be like watching the games like I'm going to church. Like just with zero motion, <laughs> complete detachment, just like my eyes out the window just so I don't cuz I'm not going to get upset at all. I'm going to keep my I'm not going to get mad. I'll just try and enjoy as much as I can. It might be a good idea to read a Bible during that game. I think I will. I'll like during the commercial <laughs> break instead of like tw- checking Twitter, I'll just read the Bible instead and get strength. <laughs> Because we'll all need it, um, but yeah, thanks yeah. for being on today, Chris. We'll, uh, I, I think we have another Jaguar season preview, and we'll probably do maybe a Texan season preview later on this week, and kind of give like final predictions before the season starts uh, on Thursday night with the Bears and Packers, and of course the Texan season begins next Monday night. But uh, thanks for being on today, Chris. My name is Matt Weston, and thank you for listening to Valley Radio. Thank you. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.